You're listening to the Now What Podcast, a podcast for women healing from loss that will provide you with practical ways to overcome the challenges you are facing as you navigate the aftermath of loss. If you're ready to get unstuck and move forward with confidence on your journey, then this is the podcast for you. It is possible to start loving the life you're living after loss. And here is your guide, host, certified life coach, and widowed mom, Erin Hinty. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. And a huge thank you for choosing to show up for yourself by being here today. If you're just tuning in for the first time, I am your host of the podcast, Erin Hinty. And on today's episode, I am really excited to be introducing another fellow widow who is going to be sharing her story today. She has been a client. She's a fellow widowed mom. And now she is one of my dearest friends. Thank you for joining me today, Mary. Thanks so much for having me here today. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be here as well. I wanted to just kick this off because I'm sure the listeners are wanting to know a little bit about you, your story, and what led you to being here today. So why don't we just start off by sharing a little bit about you and why you're here sharing your story today? Well, I was widowed unexpectedly. We're approaching the three-year anniversaries coming up in April. And my husband, Marty, and I, we had been together for 16 years, married for 11. And there was a Saturday morning, the Saturday before Easter. And he and my daughter and I were all home together. And he ended up collapsing and he had chest pains going on. And I performed CPR and called 911 and they came and got him. He was then airlifted to the U of M hospital in at the University of Minnesota. And what had happened is he had a ventricular fibrillation, which just basically means that your heart stops beating regularly. So it, it's cardiac arrest, but not being caused by blockages, just being caused by the heart being out of rhythm. And we were living in Faribault at the time, so a ways away from the hospital. And my daughter and I immediately moved in with my mom and stepdad at that point because they were closer to the hospital. And then he was in the cardiac ICU for 17 days. And I ended up deciding to withdraw support from him. And at the time, they were saying it might take him weeks to die. And it ended up though, once they withdrew support that he only took a few breaths and then he passed. So we have lived with my mom and stepdad ever since then. My daughter never wanted to really go back to our house because she was in the room when he collapsed and everything like that. And she didn't want to keep living there. And I actually didn't even remember that she was in the room when he collapsed until she told me about a year ago. So that's, you know, those tunnel vision memories can get really disoriented. My life has changed a lot. I've always been, well, I haven't always been. I've been a massage therapist and body worker for, let's see, 19 years now. And so I had done that for many, many years. And then when my daughter was about four, I decided to stay home and homeschool her full time. So I have continued to do that. But living with my mom and stepdad and raising a daughter and being only parent and then forays into dating too. It's all (laughs) 
is a lot different than I thought my life was going to look at this point in time, for sure. I know there are others that will resonate with your story and what you've been through. And I imagine having been there with Marty, as you experienced all of that, there's a lot to unpack. So what has been most helpful for those closest to you to understand, you know, as you navigate life after loss? I think for me, it's been really huge to have their support in the day to day. Um, I think it's also hard to give up that loss of, to give up independence and having an independent life more so. But I feel that the trade-off has really been there. And I think also having more people to support my daughter and love her day-to-day has been really great. A huge thing that my stepdad has done is he's fed us a lot, which has its ups and downs because I love to cook and there's like never enough room in the kitchen and stuff like that. But having someone to make sure that she and I have been fed has been really huge. My mom is great emotional support for me. She and I have been through a lot just throughout my life of having to lean on each other. And so this has felt like more of an extension of that, but I have guilt and stuff and needing to lean on her as much as I do and feeling like I'm an adult, I should be able to handle this and all that stuff. But it seems the more that I am able to allow the support that's being offered to me, the better things go for me and for everyone around me too. But I am pretty independent when it comes to that. Like it's hard for me to allow support. It's definitely a challenge. So it's something that I am constantly battling myself over, I think. And I think for me, as far as support, it's having people that aren't trying to fix things, you know, that they're just like, okay, I'm here to witness and friends that I've had that have been brought along the whole time. That's huge. And in terms of like dating and reintroducing new people into my life, that's a big burden to have to share with the person, educate the person, like all of that stuff. It's, it's a lot to bring someone in to let a new person in to let them be a support is a, it's a big thing. Yeah. You're so right. And if others are listening and they're also struggling with asking and leaning on their support system, you're, you're not alone. I think we have all these expectations of ourselves and maybe we have expectations of even others and what that support should look like. And we want to try to maintain some semblance of control over what that support looks like too. But you know, depending on so many factors that can look differently for everybody. So you mentioned your daughter and just coming to you in the past year with kind of what she remembers. And so in terms of like how you show up for her and how you allow her to process through her grief, I'd love to know, you know, talk a little bit more about that, what that looks like for the two of you. All along her grief, I would say has, it's been an evolving process. Even when Marty was in the hospital, I was lucky enough that lucky. I mean, I had a friend who had been widowed about a year before me. And when he was in the hospital, I'm like, I don't even know how to talk to her about this. What do I even say? And she told me to call Fairview Youth Grief Services, which Brighter Days Grief Center has taken on their group programming and everything like that. 
But I called them and asked for help. And what ended up happening is the hospital that Marty was at, they did not have any support for children. It was like, there's the East Bank and the West Bank, and we were on the Ron Bank. On the other bank, they had support for kids, but on this one, they didn't, and they wouldn't cross over. So there was no support for her. And I was very lucky that these grief services were kind of stepped up and filled that void, which was huge and coached me on how to talk to her. And they said, we don't usually do pre-grieving, but you know, this is kind of a special circumstance. And anyway, their support was invaluable. And through the groups that I've done at the same time as she was going to group, I was learning about what it's like for kids grieving and what that looks like and how it looks different with kids versus adults. And um, I think one of the hugest things that was helpful for me is to learn about the process of re-grieving. So as their brains develop and they have a deeper and greater understanding of the loss that they've endured. So like a six-year-old brain can only handle so much about it and can only compute it in how it affects them real time in that point in their life. But then come to a nine-year-old, which is, so she was approaching nine years old last year and she went through a huge regrieving process and it was really challenging. But at least for me being prepared and knowing like that that would happen eventually was huge. And just an an almost nine-year-old brain and what it can compute so vastly different than that of a six-year-old. And so she just went through like a couple of probably two, three months of really hardcore re-grieving and really understanding the loss of her dad and it just being a much more real, tangible thing for her than it had been in the past. The way that I have supported her is really, I would say, an extension of what my parenting has always been. But I think I tend to parent a little different than mainstream too. We've always had a lot of dialogue about emotions and how we're feeling and that kind of thing. And we refer to big emotions in terms of waves. So that's the terminology that she uses. So she'll come to me and say, I'm having a wave right now. And then I usually ask her like a couple of check-in questions. Like, is it about something in particular? Is there a particular emotion that you're having with it? Like that kind of thing. And sometimes she says there is, and sometimes she says there isn't. I've tended to, as she's gone on, it seems akin to having sort of like a wave of anxiety, I think in some ways, but I'm not exactly sure because She's referred to it sometimes as that, but definitely not always. But sometimes it's a wave of sadness. Sometimes it's like, I just really am missing daddy right now. A really common time for her to grieve is at bedtime, right before bed. And I think, you know, the day slows down. It's quiet. She um, doesn't have the distractions of the day. She can really feel in a different way than she was able to before what's going on and things come up. And I got to be honest, that is like not a great time of day for me. Like I am not my best self and I am usually tired and I'm really done and I need to check out at that time. So it's been a real dance and a real challenge to navigate that with her, me being able to meet her needs and what she needs, but also me having to respect like I am not my best self. And I will say that to her, like, 
I know that you really need my support right now. And I'm going to do my best to be there for you. But I also have to let you know, like, I'm really tired or I'm feeling overwhelmed or whatever I'm feeling too. So it's, it's a, a dance and we're relating to each other and being honest with each other about what we're thinking and feeling through this whole process. I mean, I think she always had a good degree of emotional intelligence, but you know, she's been forced to become a lot more emotionally intelligent than she was before, just through having to deal with emotions in the beginning of her whole process. It was very much, she accessed any grief through anger and it was very directed at me too. The anger was directed at me and that's hard too, to have your kid be acting out very angry at you and also recognize like what they're really needing from me is like a whole lot of love and compassion. And then she would start out angry and then get to this place where she would just then feel awful that she had been so mean and angry and, and then just lots of tears and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then she could access, like, I'm feeling really sad. I'm really missing daddy, like all of that. So I think recognizing those sort of patterns that your kids go through in accessing their grief can be really helpful just in like keeping you calm so you can ride the wave with them. Cause it's, um, just as I like to be supported by people witnessing, I think that for her, that's helpful as well, rather than me trying to fix it or make it go away or that kind of thing. I mean, I do some coaching just in terms of like, when she gets really upset, maybe, maybe we can take some deep breaths or like that kind of thing, but it's more of an invitation. And, um, I try my best to never like reject her emotions, which I've had times where I'm really overwhelmed and really tired and I've done that. And, but for the most part, you know, I try to be present. I try to witness and I try to not direct and just allow it as much as I can. And it's like the good and the bad that for with our kids, we are their safe person. So we're the person that they know that they can be awful to. And they know they're going to still be loved by us. So it's hard, but I also try to see it as like, okay, this is her showing me that she feels really safe with me too. I love where you're at today. And I love how you give your daughter that space to be able to just be whoever she needs to be because kids need that. They need to feel validated. They need to feel seen and heard and understand kind of what that emotions are okay <laughs> and where they're coming from. Because I've even noticed with my own children over time, the more that they can understand them, the more that they give themselves space to feel them. And sometimes we have to define where that space is <laughs> because I think they know it's safe at home, but how can we do this in a place where it doesn't cross the boundaries and things like that? So let's go back in time for a moment because I, I know you've done so much work to get to this place today. If you think back to that time, whenever uh, we first connected, what were you feeling? What was coming up for you during that time that made you say, hey, I need to reach out and talk to somebody? Yeah, that's a good question. My entire life, my mom has very been in, very much been into personal development and everything like that. It's been something that I've always um, been drawn to as well and worked with my whole life. And I was finding myself in this place of like, I have all of these tools. I know all these amazing things to do. 
I know how to do them. I can do this, but I also like was just feeling really lost. I was feeling like I need a direction in my life. I need a step to take forward. So I have all this knowledge, but it's like implementing it for myself was really difficult figuring out how do I take a step forward in this. I felt very lost. I felt very adrift. I felt, and this is in amongst like super COVID lockdown time and all of that. And I think I was just feeling really desperate for some movement in some way and trying to figure out how can I make some movement? How can I take a step forward? And knowing that I really needed to um, work on myself and really seeing that as being integral to me moving forward. I had gotten out of that super grief haze, totally numb place. And then I was into the, okay, now I'm feeling all this stuff and I need to figure something out here. So um, Aaron and I have a mutual friend and she's like, I have this friend, Erin, and, and she's widowed too. And I think like maybe you guys would get along with each other. So then I reached out to Erin and we just kind of started talking. And then she told me about coaching. And I was like, you know, I feel like having someone to be accountable to in, and someone that has other ideas and perspectives and thoughts about steps I can take to move forward. And it's not even so much of like, for me, it wasn't so much of like, I need to come up with like, I'm going to do this in this amount of time. And like that kind of forward plan, it was just recovering myself enough to be able to even see a path forward. Because for me at that time, looking a month into the future was really, really hard. And I, and I felt so disoriented in the loss of my husband. And so, so many things about myself had changed. I had just felt fundamentally changed in so many ways. And I could see myself even in my actions, like that's something I never would have ever done before Marty. And here I am doing it. And it feels like the appropriate thing to do. Who is this version, version of myself that I am now? I felt the need to uncover who I had been and cover who I was now. And then from that place of greater knowledge and understanding, being able to take a next step forward. It wasn't even like tons of steps. It was like a next step. And having the direction and framework that Erin set out for me of steps I could take to learn about all those aspects of myself really, I wasn't trying to figure it out then. Somebody else was just saying, do this. Okay, good. I can do that. <laughs> like just having somebody be like, do this, do this. Okay, great. Now I know what I can do. So that helped. Thank you for sharing that. And I just have to say though, they were your steps. And what did you need to be reminded of most during that time? I think I just needed to be reminded so much that I was myself, you know, I, I was my own autonomous being and, and being living with my mom and um, stepdad, you know, that was hard during that time. I think also that like, I was doing it. I was already doing everything, you know, I was already taking the steps all of that. And I think, um, just putting, you know, getting more caught up in the feeling of lost 
rather than accessing and acknowledging what I was already doing and that I had already come so far and that I had already been um, there for myself and all of these things that I wanted so much. It was actually like, oh, actually, you're really doing a lot of like you're 75% there on the things that you need to be doing for yourself. It's just it was little tweaks is more what I discovered. Yeah. And don't you agree that sometimes we often just question, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I need to be doing? It's almost like I needed to give myself permission to do the very things that I was already knew I needed to do in order to take that step forward. Absolutely. And I think for me, a big piece of that was, um, allowing me to take some time for myself because Alora had needed me so much and it was COVID lockdown and it was living with my mom and stepdad. I am a person that really needs time on my own to be able to process things. And I wasn't getting that. And by having like the homework that I had to do and stuff like that, it was like, I actually need to take time apart and do this or the, the coaching sessions with you. I need to take time for myself and do this. And so it was having it be more of an assigned thing kind of gave me permission to do that, that I knew I needed to do. I think that is a huge thing that we all need to remember, like taking time. And I know it can feel like we don't have enough time. Like time is our most valuable commodity. But I can assure probably everyone listening to this call, if they went and took a look at their smartphones to see how much time we spend buffering and like just doing all the other things to distract us from the world, then we can realize we can carve out even if it's just five minutes a day to take time for ourselves. And so I would love for you to just share how doing the work that you did And you mentioned this at the beginning, so I'm going to bring it up again, has allowed you even to explore the world of online dating again, which I know there may be people who are in in different points on their journey. So just know wherever you find yourself today, it's okay. Keep You can keep this knowledge or come back and listen to this in the future as a reminder. But Mary, I just love how you've just stepped out and shown vulnerability through this process. And so how has some of this, the work that you've done contributed to your ability to get out there in the world and explore new people and things and places? I would say that the work that I had done on myself grounded me a lot more in the new version of myself and what I wanted and needed for myself. It helped me prioritize my life in different ways that was really valuable in going forward and having a greater understanding of me and my new life was huge in going forward and dating. It's been a journey (laughs) with dating. I started out where I just needed to chunk it out for myself. And so like a first step for me is, can I even go on a date? Like, do I, is that even something I want to do? I don't know. I really don't know. But I knew so much in my heart that I had a lot of love left to give. I just, I am a very loving person and I like to share that and express that with people. And I just felt compelled. I'm like, I, my heart, there's a lot more in here that I want to share with the world. 
And I feel that I felt drawn to seeking out a partnership again in the future, but it was, that was like a lot of pressure. So like, let's chunk it out. So can I even go on a date? So I found a guy that he is a mutual friend and it was, I just, honestly, the criteria was, I don't think he's going to rape me or murder me. So I think he's a safe bet for going on a first date. That was the bar. It was very, very, very low. So we went out to dinner and then we ended up having amazing chemistry. I was completely blindsided by it and we dated for two months and it was really intense and that was bizarre, but it was great. It opened me up in a lot of ways that I think I've seen this too with other widows that they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to like just take this tiny little first step. And then you end up being blindsided by like, whoa, this is really happening. Holy crap. Like that kind of thing too. But I think putting yourself out there, taking those first steps, it never feels like the right time. You never feel like you're ready. And it's totally a leap of faith. I think for me, it felt a lot, a lot like having, taking the leap of faith to have kids, you know, like having kids, things are never perfect. You never have the right job. You never have the right amount of money. Your spouse is never perfect. Your relationship's never perfect, but it's like, you know, you feel compelled to have a kid. And so you take a leap of faith and you do it. It kind of was like that for me. It was this uh, leap of faith. And I've learned so much about myself in this dating process. It's been, it's a lot of personal growth for sure. And I tend to like, look at things from that perspective too. I, I try to look for opportunities for growth in every situation. There's been a lot of ups, there's been some decent downs, but I've continued to grow. I've continued to learn about myself. I've continued to learn about what I want in a partner and more and more about the life that I want to lead going forward. And it's been great. It's been hard in a lot of ways, but it's been really great. And I feel that it's really been worth it. And uh, yeah. (laughs) And any advice you'd give to those who are like, considering venturing out into the world. Cause like you said, <laughs> you, your bar in the beginning, it's, it's funny. I was in a Facebook group the other day and somebody was talking about the same thing. Like am I going to be murdered if I go on this date? Cause this guy wants to like meet me in the middle of the woods to go hiking. And what if nobody's around? And then he, you know, <laughs> murders me in the middle. I'm like, you know what? That is kind of what I thought on my very first date after Andy died. It's, it's the, it's unfortunately the world we live in. And as women, we oftentimes feel unsafe. And so for those that are just getting started, what is something that you would like for them to be able to ask themselves in order to decide, like, is this the right time for me? I would say that it's like I said before, it's never going to feel like the right time, but it's going to feel like do I think that I can maybe try this? I think that's about the best you're going to get. <laughs> Do I think I can maybe try this? And it will be nerve wracking and it will feel weird and it will be awkward. And then all of a sudden you'll have a moment and you'll be like, holy crap, I am doing this. I am actually doing this. And I am, wow, I'm actually enjoying myself. And getting to meet a new person. It's pretty cool. And learning about someone is fun and learning about myself is amazing. And, you know, just taking these 
little steps can really get the ball rolling. And I think, you know, online dating is its own beast to deal with. And I don't think I've met anyone ever that is like, oh, I like this. Like everyone is basically like across the board. It's awful. And I think it is, you know, there's something awful about it, but there's also something amazing about it in that for one, you know, everybody's actually looking for someone, you know, when you're out in the real world, you don't know that. I think that you can do a lot of filtering of people and deciding and is all of this evolves so much over time. So allow yourself to change, like what you're looking for, what you want, what, how you interact with people. Like I went through periods where I would um, tell everyone within the first few messages, I'm widowed because I don't want to see it on their face in person. So I would tell them in the first few messages and like, I'd say about half of them had no response to that. And I'm like, if you can't even be like human enough to have a response when I tell you that I'm widowed, you're done, you know? (laughs) And then as time went on, I'm like, actually, I feel telling someone in person to their face is a litmus test in a way that I can see what kind of human being you are and how do you show up? And that was a whole evolution for me, but it also spoke to the capacity that I had for people and their responses. So it's, it's going to evolve. It's going to change and allow yourself that too. And just getting on apps to just shop and look at people, I think is a great first step. And then even if you're not ready to even like message someone, fine, just to get the lay of the land is acceptable. You know, just figure out what is a step that feels like it could be remotely manageable for you and take that step. And then what's the next step that feels remotely manageable? And then take that step. It's always going to feel like a stretch. It's never going to feel easy. It's never going to feel natural, but just kind of what's the next tiny manageable thing that I can do. What is the next tiny manageable thing that I can do? I love that so much. And I was thinking as you were talking about just dating and getting to know people and having fun with it. There also, I think, comes our brains tend to start thinking ahead and we start to ask ourselves all kinds of questions or tell ourselves all sorts of stories before we even have gone out on the first date, which then can send us reeling or spiraling out of control. But I think we have to remember what how we've built relationships in the past. It all doesn't come with jumping into the deep end of the pool and just saying, hey, I'm going to trust you and this is going to all work and we're going to live happily ever after together. It's a, how do we decide who we want to be friends with? Like by the people that are fun, like to hang out with that people who share the same interest with people who value the same things with people who, when you ask them something, don't hesitate to give you a real honest, you know, answer, whatever it is for you. I think that we just have to go back to that, like, For me, I had to go back to that place of like this eight-year-old girl out on the playground trying to make friends at recess and deciding who I wanted to surround myself with because let's get real in the world of online dating, you're jumping into a ocean. There's lots of fish out in that sea and you got to decide who's going to be in your proximity to be able to be a part of this new life that you're creating for yourself. And it doesn't have to look the same way that it did before. 
that's both scary and exciting because you may not know what you want. And the only barometer you have is the relationship that you came from with your loved ones. So for you, how... How was it just getting out in the world, meeting these new people? Did you did you find yourself playing the comparison game sometimes and like deciding what you wanted? So for me, I think that uh, a couple of things. I am really good about making up stories that go way far out in the future. And I also knew that I really wanted a partner. And so like... For me, approaching it casually, and I, I kind of, I tried that, and I also had people recommend that, and then I'm like, you know what? I gotta own who I am and the way that I am, and I think that that is the biggest thing: is if you can be honest about yourself and what you want and need going into it, and be honest to yourself, it's just gonna set you up for way more success. So I can't take it casually. Like I've just recognized this about me. Casually dating is not something I can do. I'm just kind of not capable. I've tried. It's not it. And so I have, but there's a lot of people that aren't looking for something casual, like whatever it is that you need. There's a lot of people out there that need the same thing. So I think owning what it is that you need and also being really clear about it, what it is that you need from other people is huge. I found myself in dating and online dating and there's there's just a lot of people and figuring that out and I had many many stints of like three week long things you know like (laughs) we meet we talk we text we all this stuff and it lasts about three weeks three weeks kind of seems to be a breaking point for me (laughs) so I know this I guess and it's always, I think that's a point where it naturally starts to feel like, okay, what's actually going on here? For me too, I was dating in COVID is when I started. And it was like that first summer of COVID. And I was like, I'm not meeting you unless I know where you're going, who you're seeing, like all this stuff. And that I know that you're not making out with other people. And that was because of that time, but it's also, I was really clear, like, this is what I need in order to interact with you. And I think it worked well that I was honest with myself and other people, because then it made it that people that that didn't work for, they would filter themselves out really fast. So the more honest you can be with yourself and others, they do a lot of filtering themselves too, which is great. And finding myself dating, it was exciting. It was scary. It was overwhelming. It was, um, fun. It was exciting. It was all of this all at once. And, in the comparison game, it's interesting. I think that I have not so much gotten into comparing just because when I first got together with Marty, it wasn't even like he was anyone I would have ever sought out. And it wasn't like we were dating. We just happened into each other kind of thing. And I was 20, you know, like I've noticed too, if I have gone into comparison, I've noticed how different I am and what I'm looking for is so different from that time. And what I want from a partner is so different. I feel in a lot of ways with Marty and I, it was kind of like dumb luck, honestly, that things worked out as well as they did. I do think I was an active participant in that relationship, but 
there was a lot of things that I've realized now that we were just really, really lucky. And I've realized this through the school of hard knocks of uh, dating different people. So I think it's not going to be the same. And you are a wholly different person. And what you're looking for is probably wholly different than you were looking for the last time you were dating. And I think that owning that helps and also recognizing that there's amazing things about your partner, but you know that you're not going to find them again. And that dynamic and the interplay and your history, it's just not going to happen again. And I think holding a place of honoring that and appreciating that for everything that it was while also recognizing it's not going to happen that way again, but it doesn't mean it's going to be less than. And I think that is a really hard thing because I've found for myself since loss, having hope is a challenge. It's a challenge for me and trusting good things is a challenge for me. But, you know, the idea that it it's going to be different, but not less than is something that has helped me a lot. I am writing that down right now because that I love it isn't, it's going to be different, but it isn't going to be less than. And I think the way that you said it first was it isn't going to happen maybe the same way again, but it isn't going to be less than. I love how you also talked about comparing yourself to what you used to want. I was 17 when I met Andy. And if I want the same things that I wanted at 17, um, like... (laughs) I just have to laugh because I think about my 17 year old self, but we have to remember that, yes, there was a whole lifetime before we met our loved ones. And I think we have to go back there and rediscover who that person was and what we needed all along the way, because we forget. I felt like going back into the dating world, I was going back in as my 17 year old self because the first few dates I went on, I was like, oh my goodness, does he like me? Does he not? Has he responded? Has he not? What's going on? Is my hair right? Do I, did I gain too much weight? Is this, is that, is I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I uncovered all my insecurities were fizzling and bubbling, bubbling up to the surface. But I also like gave myself space to work through those. And that's been the beautiful journey of me for dating. For me, it's more of this self-discovery type of process. Just because we've been faced with something that opens up those insecurities does not mean anything's wrong. It means it's an opportunity for us to be able to go back and understand where we've come from, where that is hap- where that happened in our lives and find healing in it so we can even step forward in a, in a stronger, healthier version of ourselves because they may say something that we've been thinking and we're going to blame it on dating for us feeling the way that we feel when, you know, we haven't been thinking about stuff for a very, very long time. So I just want to give everybody permission in this process to use it as as an opportunity to discover things along the way. And that stuff I think we've done in our work, even together, Mary. And have you found like this has been an evolution of really uncovering 
who you are in this process of online dating? Absolutely. It's been a huge discovery process of myself and, and my own stuff that I am carrying along with me and my own beliefs about myself and my own patterns and propensities. And yeah, I just went through that really a lot recently where I have been dating somebody has been going really, really well. And then like this sort of thing came up that I saw as insurmountable and I'm like, okay, I'm calling it. I'm done. And then he kind of kept showing up and he's like, I just don't really understand. Can you explain it to me? And so then we kept talking and talking and talking. And I ended up recognizing like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of my own stuff that came up here and like propensity for wanting to push people away and wanting to, I can do this better by myself and feeling these anniversaries coming up and all of this stuff. And I had to own that my own stuff was a big part of why things went south. And that's like not a comfortable, easy thing to do. And and then I actually was able to own it and I owned it to him. And I was like, are you willing to try again, knowing all of this about me and part, here's all of it out. And we decided to try again and it's been going really, really well. But it's like, I am much more comfortable in other people having issues and me not be the one with issues. And so I feel like, you know, I've worked so much on myself, like I should be past this. And it's like, no, this is lifelong. Like, and this is, and then, and you add in trauma and you add in losing your spouse and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, stuff just keeps, like you said, keeps bubbling up. And I think it's just a lifelong process. And to notice those bubbling up, the, when those things bubble up, that they're an opportunity to examine yourself, to grow from this. Why does this hurt? All of that is the self-discovery is a huge, huge, huge gift if we can take it. And also, you know, in this process of being widowed, you know, sometimes you're like, yeah, this is just not the right time for me to take this opportunity for growth. You know, right now I'm a little more in survival mode and owning those times too. 100%. Because when you add in the complexity of kids and things that are happening in your life, and maybe you're just trying to make it day to day, Sometimes we can use things as an outlet to distract us from real world only to find out that they are actually going to put the real world right in front of us, front and center. And so, yeah, I love that. As we wrap up here, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story and your perspective and like your journey of self-discovery in this process, because I know others are out there feeling lost and overwhelmed and want to start finding some direction in their life. So is there any final words of encouragement you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would say that continuing to allow life to unfold as it does, I know it's so, so hard to do. And it's definitely a challenge for me all the time, allowing things to unfold or allowing myself to take first steps or um, allowing life to be so different than you ever thought it would be. But the more we can allow ourselves space and time to discover ourselves, the more we can allow life to be a natural unfolding, the more we can allow love and opportunities in the future into our lives, the 
better I think we are for it moving forward. It doesn't always feel natural. It doesn't always feel easy, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth trying. Yes. Thank you for that. It doesn't mean that it's not worth trying. Thank you again, Mary, for being here with us today. And I know that I've seen your journey unfold and I know that wherever it leads you, it's going to lead you right to where you need to be. And man, for those of you who would like to learn more about kind of what we're talking about today and really uncovering what's next for you on your journey Definitely check out the show notes after the the call today when you're in a place where you can do that. It is such an honor to be on this journey with you today. So thank you for investing your time to be here with me. And until next time, I'm wishing you all the best. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to design a life you truly love after loss, I invite you to join my Becoming You coaching program. It's a program for women healing from loss where I can personally help you get unstuck and moving forward with confidence. If you're asking yourself, what do I do now? Then don't wait another minute to get started and go to www.erinhinty.com linked in the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute breakthrough session today. I look forward to uncovering what's next for you on your journey.